welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and as always, thanks for tuning in. In this country, we measure wealth in many ways by home ownership. And in this city for years and years, if not decades, that's how we measured progress and wealth. Detroit, once upon a time, was a place of opportunity for people who wanted to own homes. More people in the middle class owned homes here than in other cities. And as the city's African-American population grew, so did their home ownership, to the point where this was kind of a marker, a beacon nationally for the whole idea of home ownership across a broad spectrum of economic abilities. We stress this issue a lot on our program, and we talk all the time about home ownership in Detroit, particularly because in the last decade, Detroit, with its really rich and proud history of home ownership, had become a renter-majority city. It's been a bad trend that has been associated with a lot of other problems that we have. Well, yesterday, we got news that that trend appears to be shifting. New census data suggests that Detroit is again now a majority owner city. Now, there is no way to describe this as anything other than welcome news. The fact that this was a majority runner city was something that hung pretty heavy over all of the efforts to revitalize the city, especially the neighborhoods, and provide opportunity for people who really need it. Later in the hour, we're going to talk about another news-related item in Detroit where a bunch of money was given to the Michigan Department of Transportation to rebuild the I-375 corridor that uh, we've been talking about for several years. But for now, the report on home ownership is what we want to talk about first. It leaves us with a lot of big questions. We know that many new homeowners in the city are people who are new to our city disproportionately folks who did not grow up in the city, and people who are coming to pretty hot and attractive areas to buy property. Corktown and Midtown and Downtown, parts of the East Side, Sherwood Forest and Palmer Park, University District, Boston Edison. These are the places where we are seeing lots of new investment. One question is, is that new investment what flipped the city again from majority renter to homeowners. And this is, of course, in addition to the questions about African-American home ownership. Are we doing better making sure that the city's African-American majority has an opportunity to partake in the economic growth that we're seeing with more home ownership? Of course, a lot of these questions don't have solid answers quite yet. We got the census data yesterday Lots of people are poring over it, trying to figure out what it actually means and what it actually says. And we will be returning to the subject over and over again as we learn more about what's actually happening here and whether it really is uh, a, a direction, uh, a new direction for the city. Uh, 
meantime, though, we do want to talk about what this census data actually tells us just in very stark terms. And to do that, we've got Julie Snyder here with us. She is the director of the Housing and Revitalization Department here at the city of Detroit. Julie, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So first, I want to start with just the milestone, right? Uh, As I said, uh, the majority renter status that we have had here for a decade is something that has been on a lot of people's minds. It has hung pretty heavy over a lot of the things that we've been trying to do. Tell me how it makes you and the others in the administration feel to see data that says, look, we're actually headed the other direction. Well, uh, good morning again. (laughs) So seeing the data yesterday uh, certainly was a a welcome news. And I think it marks a a milestone. It provides um, some some evidence that we are moving in the right direction. Um, certainly, uh, the work that's been done for for years to try to reverse the trend, to help people remain in their homes, to create opportunities for for new home ownership. Uh, we see through the census data, uh, last seeing it in 2019, now seeing it in 2021, we're seeing a four percent shift from renter to home ownership. So it's it's very positive news, and it it shows a, a trend in a very positive direction for homeownership in the city. Yeah. So I, I want to talk about the things that have been happening, uh, both uh, things done by the Duggan administration and other efforts to try to expand home ownership in the city. And which of those things, I guess, with the initial blush from these numbers, uh, might we say, really had a, a hand in, in turning this around. What, what were the levers that got pulled that really helped to make this a majority home owner city again? So there are a number of factors. It's a very complex issue, but I think there's two, two kinds of sides of the coin to really look at. One is helping people stay in their homes there's been really massive efforts from both the administration and our nonprofit and philanthropic partners to help keep people in their homes through property tax savings programs, through the PACE programs, through uh, going back as far as uh, interest rate reduction programs that were introduced for people who had, were back on uh, head back taxes. And we've seen people really get out of the cycle of delinquency. And so stabilizing home ownership for existing homeowners is essential to uh, reversing the trend of, of declining home ownership. And the other side is creating opportunities for home ownership. So we've seen uh, we've seen mortgages increase from a low of, of around 200 in 2010 to um, in 2021, right around 2300. So market shifts, that's the first time we've seen those numbers return to 2007 mortgage levels. Um, so in, in about 15 years. So um, creating opportunities through the land bank programs. Uh, they've sold nearly 7,000 homes since since 2020, and about 68% of them have a principal residency exemption. Uh, there's other programs, the Detroit Home Mortgage, Rehabbed and Ready, really setting comps in neighborhoods, which helps uh, regular households be able to access mortgages that might not have been available to them before, which is the primary tool that that many families use to enter home ownership. So those two sides of the of the work, both keeping people helping people stay in their homes as well as creating opportunities for home ownership, 
really seem to be influencing the the trends, evidence in the census numbers. Yeah. And and let's back up a second and talk, I guess, more generally about why this matters. What is it about homeownership uh, that that fits into the larger narrative and efforts to to make this the kind of city that that we want for for the people who live here? So in Detroit, the it was long the the city where had the highest black home ownership rate in the country. That declined uh, and and the trend reversed in starting in uh, the late late aughts and uh, really had a major impacts on neighborhood stability, economic equity, household wealth. And so seeing those trends come back to a place where we're seeing uh, growth in home ownership has the, the opposite effects. It, it helps us to stabilize neighborhoods. It creates opportunities for, for household, household wealth that can be passed on through generations. And so um, it's very much a positive trend for Detroiters, Detroit neighborhoods, and uh, certainly looking to see it continue as well. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking with Julie Snyder. She is the director for the Housing and Revitalization Department at the city of Detroit. We're talking about yesterday's news that census data says uh, Detroit is once again a majority homeowner city after a decade uh, of being a majority renter city. Uh, we have been talking about this issue for a long time. Uh, the importance of expanding opportunity in Detroit neighborhoods, expanding opportunity for Detroiters, especially for the African-American majority here in the city. Uh, this is, uh, by any measure, good news that we have uh, turned the tide on that. But it also raises a lot of questions about uh, where we're headed, uh, what programs uh, we're, we're employing that actually are making a difference here, and uh, what lies ahead. We want to hear from you as well during the conversation. Give us a call. Tell us what do you make of these new home ownership numbers here in Detroit. Are you excited about it? Uh, are you worried that perhaps this is a sign of uh, gentrification, that, uh, that it is new uh, residents who are white, uh, who are getting the majority of the mortgages here in Detroit, and that uh, that is part of what uh, has turned the city back to majority home ownership status. Uh, also give us a sense if you're somebody who is trying to get into a home here in Detroit, trying to buy a house, trying to be a homeowner, uh, or someone who's lost their home uh, to tax foreclosure or or other problems here. Um, tell us what that uh, what that experience was like, and tell us what the what this new data about the city uh, says to you about what's happening. As always, uh, the number here on the phones is three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we can work you into the conversation. Uh, that way. Uh, I, I do want to talk about mortgages and banks here in the city. There's been a lot of effort to come up with new ways to get people money to buy homes. Uh, banks have have uh, made significant efforts there. The administration and, and uh, other institutions have put a lot of pressure uh, on, on banks to do that. How much of this is about um, 
more lending and more creative lending. As you said, we've gone from about 200 mortgages uh, being being written in, in 2010 to 2,300 last year. That's a pretty big jump. Uh, what What is the role that banks are playing right now in Detroit? Well, we've seen in the past few years certainly greater mortgage activity in the city of Detroit. And I think you've seen a, we've seen a few programs that have have led to that. We've also seen in this data is from 2021, uh, so that was capturing those pretty historically low mortgage rates. So we've certainly seen more activity from from banks in the area, but we're also seeing different types of programs. So I mentioned the Detroit Home Mortgage previously, and that was kind of a, a an initial program to really try to increase lending activity in in neighborhoods that. We weren't seeing it and certainly saw um, positive effects of that. I've also seen um, banks really being um, involved in, in neighborhoods, opening new branches, participating through the strategic neighborhood program and really um, making sure that they're, they're following through on new programs that are targeted for Detroiters. Um, a few years ago, we saw uh, the Mich- Michigan State uh, Housing Development Authority increase the amount of down payment assistance we had. We uh, really worked with lenders, really worked with realtors to try to make sure as much of that those dollars came to Detroit as possible. If I recall, about 40% of statewide uh, funding came into Detroit um, through that program. Uh, recently, we've seen Bank of America launch a new program that would uh, be a zero down payment uh, program that considers other factors than just credit score for for lending. We haven't seen the impacts of that, but it does suggest that major institutions are really reconsidering how they're they're lending in markets such as Detroit. And certainly, um, I think that'll continue to to push towards a positive trend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Also, what are the what are the sort of caution flags, I guess, uh, that that are surrounding this data that suggest to us, okay, this is a this is a positive development, but it may not be quite as meaningful as we as we think it is. Uh, there there are, uh, of course, lots of different dimensions of of what's happening in the city in terms of home ownership and 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 property and land and things like that. What are the things that that from the administration's standpoint? Uh, we, we we need more time to digest and think about uh, and maybe still need to, to, to really be concentrated on on reversing. So as you said, the, the data is is quite new. It's all new. Yes, yes it's very new. Um, but I there's a there's a couple of things that we ought to be really mindful of, one of which is that interest rates have have risen pretty dramatically and that uh, we've seen the impacts of that already and. Um, I think slower, um, slower mortgage rates, home staying on the market for longer than they were the, the past couple of years. So uh, in order to, to maintain the trend, uh, we're going to need to really launch new programs such as the down payment assistance program that'll be launched uh, later this year, uh, working with financial institutions to make sure that lending activity continues, especially for lower valued uh, homes that might be in in many neighborhoods in the city of Detroit. Um, other other things that we want to be uh, really understand is is who is accessing who is who are the who are the new homeowners are they are they current Detroiters uh, who are either coming back to home ownership or shifting uh, becoming homeowners for the first time 
Are they our um, uh, Detroit's a Af- majority African American city? Are the the majority of our new uh, home buyers or homeowners? Um, do they represent the the city? Um, are they uh, are we seeing increases in African American homeownership? Um, we saw a trend a couple of years ago that was was documented in the Detroit Future City Report, where we're really seeing um, mortgages who went to that went to white households were plateauing, mm-hmm. and we saw growth in African American uh, purchases through mortgages. Uh, that data is uh, was really um, a good insight, and it'll be important to see whether or not that trend is continuing with this current data. Yeah, uh, we we've also talked with Detroit Future City about data that shows that the areas of the city that are growing in population, for instance, are areas uh, that are attracting new residents uh, and that we still have this tremendous lag in in other neighborhoods. Um, Obviously, the home ownership question um, is part of that, right? Uh, uh, we are attracting a lot of people who, who want to live in Detroit for the first time in a long time or f- for the first time ever, and that's great. Uh, but there is this question about um, uh, who is not benefiting, who's being, who's being left behind, and, and that question about which neighborhoods are growing is, is related, I guess, to this, this ownership question, right? Yes, uh, absolutely. I mean, we it's it's not a surprise that we would see homeownership growing in the areas that are in the the most demand that have the um, housing stock that is and perceived to be in the the best condition and um, located near the amenities that um, people really seek out when they're they're um, seeking to be homeowners. And that's why investments in neighborhoods is so critical. Um, I think that. Uh, certainly, there's the the areas that have been growing that are the the areas that have been have been growing for for a while or or rebounding well for a while. But um, certainly, the the city is is much larger. It's made up of um, many many neighborhoods, and so those investments in in neighborhoods through such programs as the Strategic Neighborhood Fund, really creating corridors and amenities, and um, that. Um, most Detroiters want in their in their neighborhoods. It's really important um, to to stabilize and, and help uh, grow those neighborhoods as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, quickly, let's take uh, a phone call here. John on the east side. John, what's on your mind? Well, I, I've been involved in housing for the last three decades, and, it, and it's been a tremendous challenge. Um, when we started here in Jefferson Chalmers, we had three Detroit schools, two elementary and a middle school. And we had three recreation centers in our parks on the river. And the housing was just going down, down, down. And we realized that, you know, it couldn't sustain itself. And, you know, we started off with minor home repair through community development block grants. But that was just a failed use of money from the the feds. Mm -hmm. And it still is in my mind. It just doesn't get to the people. There's just too many, too many barriers to getting it there. And, Without the generational wealth and the generational uh, information about owning a house, it's it's very difficult to, to maintain houses. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, we brought in Habitat, twenty five Habitat homes, and then uh, forty five low income housing tax credit homes, and we built those the, the low income housing tax credits in the middle of two thousand, you know, two thousand five or so, and it was not accepted by the neighborhood. Hmm. Um, 
we had a lot of resistance and uh it's very difficult. There's just a you know, lack of education about home owning, home ownership, and 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 you can't speak enough about the generational wealth that home ownership sure does it's, for people. It's it's everything. It's everything, John. Uh, I really appreciate the call uh, and that that information, uh, Julie Schneider. Talk about the challenges that that John is pointing out there that that still lie ahead of us in in many ways. Well. Absolutely. Detroit's housing stack is certainly older. Much of it was constructed uh, previous to, to 1980 um, and have major maintenance needs. So uh, we've looked to expand home repair programs utilizing other sources of funding, such as the American Recovery uh, Plan dollars that I will have uh, $45 million in, in repairs going into Detroit homes, into the homes owned by, uh, by Detroiters owner-occupied homes. Because the the housing stack isn't isn't getting younger, and we need to re, be reinvesting in it. Um, so, as as uh, I believe John mentioned, the low income housing tax credit, single family they would be a likely single family scattered site uh, a development, which I'm uh, certainly familiar with, and you know it reflects a a need for housing opportunities for for people of all incomes in every neighborhoods to be able to participate in um, the the investment and the amenities that are that are happening throughout the city uh, certainly we're also looking for an initiative to help uh, some of those homes those single-family homes that were developed through low-income housing tax credits several years ago uh, to help those those occupants that are ready and those those owners that are interested to help them transition to home ownership as well so that that we're continuing that trend of having a a diversified tenure between homeowners and renters in the city. So it certainly takes a, a, a lot of work to, to turn this this around, and you have to have great community partners that are out there uh, doing the work as well. Yeah. Okay, Julie Schneider, uh, Director of Housing and Revitalization with the City of Detroit. Great to have you here to talk about this. And uh, as I said, listeners, we will be coming back to this subject many times in the near future as people unpack this data a little more. Julie, thanks for being with us. We're going to take a break. We're going to raise a little money. And then when we come back, we are going to change the subject a little bit, talk about the I-375 project, which MDOT has received money for to reconstruct as an attempt to undo past harms to African-Americans who were removed from that area when their neighborhoods were destroyed. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. Like most other cities in the country, Detroit went on a decades-long infrastructure project that built our freeways and highways that carved the city up and made it easy to get from downtown Detroit to the furthest flung suburbs you could imagine. But that construction and that long infrastructure project also did a lot of damage. 
did damage to neighborhoods that mostly were African-American, and it did so without regard to the damage it was doing. No one really stopped to think, what are we destroying in order to create? This is how we got I-375 and how we lost Black Bottom, for instance, but it's also how we got all the other freeways in the city and how we lost many, many neighborhoods. As you may, may know, the city of Detroit, the state of Michigan, and the federal government are now trying to undo some of these past harms and remove I-375 in particular from the city. It will likely be replaced by a six-lane boulevard with wider sidewalks, bike lanes, other amenities, and it will include green stormwater infrastructure. Recently, state and federal officials, including U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, gathered near I-375 to announce a $104 million grant to the Michigan Department of Transportation to speed up this process. We've been talking about this for about five or six years now. This money is meant to move things along. So the question is, how fast will I-375 disappear? And what exactly will come in its place? Also, how will it transform that area? Who will be directly helped by that change? And is this going to connect to the effort to figure out how to repay in some way the families, the communities that were deeply harmed by the building of this expressway? That's where we want to continue the conversation on Detroit Today. And to talk about this, we've got Jeff Cranson with us. He is the Director of Communications for the Michigan Department of Transportation. Jeff, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Um, you said, uh, I think, going into the segment that we'd be changing subjects, but there's actually a lot of tie into what you were previously discussing when it comes to equity and housing and generational wealth. Absolutely, yes. So, uh, so, so let's start with the money, $100 million is a lot of money. Uh, what does that bring the total to, I guess, uh, with regard to this I-375 project? And how much faster will this money make the project happen? So <clears throat> the total for construction now is estimated at about $270 million. There's another $30 million uh, involved in engineering costs. So we're talking about a $300 million project in total. Uh, getting this, this grant, this significant grant, means that that's, that construction engineering and design work is, is underway now. In fact, <clears throat> the project manager yesterday couldn't be at that uh, announcement with Secretary Buttigieg because he was already leading a design meeting. Um, they're like, you know, full speed ahead on that. And that means that construction can start in 2025 instead of 2027 and probably be done by 2028. So, yeah, this, this grant is significant. It's one of two major milestones this year. As you know, the federal government back in the spring gave us a finding of no significant impact, meaning that environmental clearances were done to go ahead and, and make this conversion. So, yeah, it's it's a significant grant. Mm. So, so before we go back to history, I want to talk about the future in this space and what it will be, and why MDOT and other agencies believe that this will be a better use uh, for that area. Talk about what what we will end up with 
when this is done and why it benefits that part of town? You know, I think that a lot of people say you can't undo the mistakes of the past, and that's almost become cliche, right? I mean, one, because it's an axiom. Uh, <laughs> and some people say, if you can't, then, you know, why are you trying? And it's it's like, well, I think acknowledging those mistakes in itself is a, is a huge deal. Even if none of us are personally responsible, um, we, we've got to do something about it. You know, it's it's no different than than taking down, uh, you know, Civil War monuments or, you know, anything that uh, that once, uh, you know, glorified people that did those kinds of things. So I think that both in terms of, of practical value, the connectivity for people from the east side of the city to downtown, to the cultural attractions, to the to the sports attractions. Um, you mentioned uh, the, the bike pads and, and pedestrian sidewalks. Uh, this will be so much more walkable. That, that area of the city was, was cut off, um, and, and it won't be anymore. Uh, the, the development, the involvement of the community, and, you know, the advisory board that will be set up, and getting all kinds of people, plain old folks in the neighborhood, to weigh in on what they want in that corridor going forward, what the economic development looks like. You know, those things didn't go on in the 50s and the 60s mm-hmm. when freeways were being built. This kind of robust public involvement um, is, is going to mean, and I, I really believe it's going to mean that the citizens have a say in what things look like. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with Jeff Krantz, and he's the Director of Communications for the Michigan Department of Transportation. We're talking about I-375 mm-hmm. being redeveloped, essentially being undeveloped, uh, filled in and replaced with a street level scape of uh, some dimension as a way of undoing the harm that that freeway did when it was built through the middle of neighborhoods that were majority African-American here in the city. Uh, we want to hear from you as well uh, what you think about I-375 and the changes planned there. What would you like to see go into that space? Uh, did you grow up in that area? Uh, what would you do to repair the harm that was caused uh, to the people who were uh, displaced by I-375 and by freeways all across Detroit? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. We've already got a couple social media comments I want to add to the conversation. Big Neo says funds for the I-375 project should go to fairly repay families and business owners who were removed when the original project started. The record still exists, so it shouldn't be hard to find the descendants. Uh, Jeff on Twitter says, I would prefer that they fill in I-375 and lay out streets as they were before the freeway was built. It would be an acknowledgement of what was lost. Uh, I also want to quickly go to a a caller uh, who has a similar point before we go back to Jeff Cranston. Tim in Detroit, go ahead. Yeah, I I want to, first of all, they say that it was a mistake but wasn't that government policy to destroy all the black business communities in major cities around the country? Yeah, well, I mean, it happened. It happened everywhere. That's for sure. And and I'm I'm not sure that the government has ever uh, acknowledged that it was intentional. But but certainly, um, it was consistent in in cities all across the, the the country. Jeff, this this these questions about how to make some of the people whole who were damaged, who are harmed, 
by this uh, and what to do with that space, I think are really connected. The, the idea of rebuilding a neighborhood there uh, seems to me to be a, a start on the way to trying to figure out how to make this right. These plans look a little different from that, but but talk more generally about how much of a priority the 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 look back and the attempt to to do right uh, is is part of this project. Yeah, I think <clears throat> it's absolutely a priority, and I think you you're right about you know when we do need to look back. I know that we like to say you know you can't change the past, so let's look at what we can do in the future. But part of this is is looking back and understanding the history. And, you know, what the point the caller just made, um, de- defining that as government policy might be difficult and might be controversial. But to understand this project in particular, you've got to go back to 1949 when, you know, Albert Cobo became mayor. Mm-hmm. And the things that he he took on uh, as part of policy, city policy, uh, to, to, you know, urban renewal. It was called urban renewal. It had all kinds of positive terms. But you know what the end result was. And that was that was long before they even started building I-375. Right. So that was just one more straw, I guess, in, in what was already a camel's back breaking in those neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so what do we do going forward? I think, you know, like I said, we have to involve the community. We have to talk about whether it's housing equity, whether it's business equity, um, recreational opportunities, all kinds of things. And part of that has to be some kind of history, some kind of museum, something that pays tribute to to those thriving neighborhoods that, that were destroyed and and that loss of generational wealth. It's certainly not something for for me or the DOT to get into in terms of of you know how to how to repay that. But you know that's that's certainly a fair conversation to have. Yeah, and, and you know I've seen on social media since this announcement a lot of fretting about the pace here being picked up and whether. That speed will will subdue some of the, the the conversation and some of the effort to really figure out how to make this a remunerative um, kind of uh, project as opposed to just a, 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 a redevelopment. Is that is that a reasonable fear? I yeah, I think that um, yeah, it's a double edged sword, right? Everybody wants everything done as quickly as possible, especially when you're inconvenienced by construction. Um, as you know, Metro Detroit, uh, you know, that you can't go anywhere without seeing road work this year, which in the long term will be a good thing, but in the short term, it inconveniences all of us. So speeding it up for the sake of convenience is, is one priority, but also making sure that everybody is heard. And, you know, there's a difference between everybody getting what they want and everybody being heard. Mm-hmm. I think that the, the least we can ask for, though, is that everybody has has a chance to, to offer their point of view. And and I think MDOT and their consultant, their lead consultant, HNTB, are going to do everything they can, and the city's part of that too, to make sure that anybody with a stake in this, you know, has has a say. Yeah, yeah. Right, let's go back to the phones here. Perry in Detroit. Perry, what's on your mind? Are you there, oh, Perry? Yeah. Go ahead. The obvious question is, uh, can you unring a bell can can you put toothpaste back in the tube? <laughs> I mean, p- personally, uh, I, I think it's a joke. I'm one that's old enough to remember that community. I mean, will they restore the wealth that was there? Will they restore the African-American culture that was destroyed? 
I mean, it just seems to me that if they want to do something, uh, why not put those funds into restoring communities that's right now, right now in Detroit, that's being this devastated. Uh, I, I'm just uh, a, a, amazed that, uh, you know, is this just going to be another gentrified community? What exactly are they going to do to restore the uh the, the equity that was there. Yeah. I mean, are they going to go back and find the uh, descendants, the, uh, the relatives of the black business owners, the black families whose homes were destroyed, whose businesses restro- were destroyed and restored them, or what? I mean, it's what, a great, what exactly is this going to be? It's a great question. It's a great question, Perry. And, and I don't think we have all the answers yet, but Jeff Cranston, talk about how we go about determining how to do exactly what Perry's talking about doing. I think that Mayor Duggan uh, is very sincere in his commitment to to make sure that there is equity going forward. And, yeah, I mean, your caller's overall point is is a good one. Yeah, you can't unring that bell. But just because we can't unring that bell, do we do nothing? Um, Do we do nothing in that corridor, in that neighborhood? I mean, that's... That's the kind of federal grant program that was available, and that's you know what MDOT applied for, and it's it's significant. It says something about what they think is is happening in Detroit and what can happen. That that was the fourth highest grant of all those grants that were announced across the country mm-hmm. uh, in the past couple of days. Yeah, I mean it, so, it is about priority, right? And and so I mean I was born near the corner of Grand River and Livernois in 1970, and in 1973. I-96 came through that corridor and divided our neighborhood right in half. And both sides of that neighborhood uh, have never been the same. I mean, they never recovered from that. I mean, you can go all over the city and find neighborhoods that that still exist, that were damaged by freeways. Obviously, this is not money that can go to fix that, but it is the kind of thing that we need to be talking about in terms of how do we fix it? How do we make people whole for for damage that was done? I, I want to get to one more caller before we have to break. Lori in Detroit, go ahead. Hi, thank you. Uh-huh. I think I appreciate the, the mindset of let's let everyone be hurt, but that never yields tangible results. I agree with you. There are families that lost legacy, that lost immediate homes, that while some residents were anticipating the completion of a freeway because their commute would be easier. Other people were fretting because they didn't have a place to live mm-hmm. or for their kids to go to school. Why isn't there funding put in place that targets the type of community that was disrupted rather than we're building spaces that really caters to the gentrified neighborhoods, neighborhoods that are coming into play? And so there has to be a place where we go beyond ideas and thoughts and let's try to where people who lost tangible property relationships rights get tangible recompense there has to be money to those families to those people it's not enough to put in green spaces where everyone can buy what can i do for the community that was disrupted that targets their needs and their culture specifically to get them recovered from what they lost no no question laurie and and look our our city has got a reparations commission for the first time that's starting to look at a lot of these questions and hopefully we'll focus on uh, not just areas around i-375 but but areas like my home neighborhood and and the other places where 
African-Americans were so disrupted. Okay, Jeff Cranson uh, of the Michigan Department of Transportation. Always great to have you here. Uh, we look forward to seeing what happens with I-375. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah. It's going to do it for us today. Come back Monday when we're going to be joined by Jesse Singer about her new book, There Are No Accidents, and how so much blame for our own mistakes can be attributed to the built environment. Also, get out and check out the Detroit Auto Show, which opens tomorrow. We'll talk again on Monday.